Today, on the Blokes in Your Ear podcast, we have reptile enthusiast, photographer, and educator, Ross McGibbon. Now, Ross has travelled all around Australia and to different parts of the world to find the most unique and beautiful reptiles and creatures to take photos of. He makes educational videos and produces lots of fantastic work that has been published in a variety of different magazines. Let's give it up for Ross McGibbon. So welcome, Ross. Um, thanks for coming on, mate. Um, what have you been um, up to recently with the COVID-19 going around? Have you still been able to go out and uh, do your work out in the field? Uh, yeah, but in WA, they've brought in um, local restrictions where they've sort of divided Western Australia because it's in such a big state. They've divided it into sectors. So um, pretty much a two-hour radius around Perth is my limit at the moment. So, um, yeah, I've recently got back from the Pilbara kind of late February, early March. So I've just been, um, you know, going through those photos and, and getting all those sorted out and, I haven't actually had a chance to get back out, but um, hopefully over this Easter break, um, I'll be able to get out and see what's moving. Yeah, so you've um, obviously got a backlog of uh, photos you've taken. Um, for those listening who don't know, you go out and do uh, reptile photography. Um, and yeah, obviously it's helpful if you have those previous uh, trips that you've gone out and got photos in times like this. But um, when did you first get into uh, reptiles? Um, were you around animals as a kid a lot or was it just something that you grew into as you got older? It grew with um, a fascination from, from uh, dinosaurs when I was uh, a young age. Um, yeah. You know, I was obsessed with Jurassic Park. That's sort of when that started coming out when I was young and um, you know, making mum take me to go and see that in the cinemas like five or six times over the school holidays. <laughs> and um, yeah, just right into dinosaurs. And then as I got older and started, um, you know, watching documentaries and, and sort of learning about the natural world, I, I started to uh, transfer my, I guess, obsession over to reptiles. And, um, you know, I moved from the Gold Coast, that's where I was sort of born and, and moved up to uh, central Queensland, which was a big change and it was more rural. And um, when I was at a, about nine years old, I moved out to a, uh, a farm and, and that's where we had about 170 acres of farmland, okay. which, you know, had some good bushland sort of down the back and, and I could sort of go and explore that. Um, I, I think I was an explorer in a past life because, um, you know, I was just always out in the bush and always sort of out exploring and Obviously, being on a farm in, in Emerald, I would always come across reptiles and um, I guess that's where it sort of grew from. Um, and yeah. then I just progressed into snake catching uh, when, when I was about 30. Um, yeah. I'm 35 now, so that was about five years ago. Um, and I became a professional snake catcher because I, I found that my path had sort of strayed away from doing what I loved with the reptiles and um, I sort of thought, oh, how can I sort of get more hands-on experience with reptiles? And at the time, snake catching was the, um, my, I guess, my easiest way into that where I could, you know, A, help people and B, um, get my hands on as many wild reptiles as possible. Yeah, so um, work-wise, do you still do the snake catching and the photography or do you have another job that you go to as well? Yeah, so I'm a, I joined the army as a full-time firefighter yep. um, in, at age 20. So I've been a firefighter. Um, I did five years in the army. Then I did emergency response in the mining industry. And then um, I've been working privately for a defense contractor who has all the firefighting, you know, defense contracts around the country. Yep. Um and now I work as a, yeah, just full-time firefighter with them. So that, that gives me a good roster. We have like a four-day on, four-day off roster. And um, that allows me to sort of get out and about. And, um, you know, it's easy to take leave and um, pretty much spend most of my trips um, combining the, the photography and, and travel and reptiles all into one sort of uh, epic sort of trip. Mm. Um, so obviously you go to some pretty remote places to get out and take these photos. Um, where, where, where do you go to mainly in Australia and how do you get out there most of the time? Do you hike out? Do you drive there? Um, what's your best 
uh, mode of transport to get into these areas? Uh, well, I'd say first and foremost, my four-wheel drive, I've got a Volkswagen Amarok I've had for, you know, going on eight years now and it's it's been re really reliable. I've, I've done it up for touring so that I can live out of it and um, I go on trips basically ranging from, you know, it might just be a couple of days if I can, if that's all I've got spare and I can get out um, more locally, uh, ranging up to about six weeks, I'll go and spend on the road and, and live out of the uh, Amarok and, you know, out of a swag or a tent and, and they basically visit all the places I need to go to, to find the species that I'm targeting. Yeah. So obviously Australia is a very vast place and you said when you were a kid you had that large farm and I know even where we are in, uh, it's a regional area in Victoria but it's still pretty suburban, you still get your snakes, reptiles all around the place. Um, so obviously... Australia's got a lot of reptiles out there. Um, is there any in particular that you're currently trying to get a photo of or you're on the hunt for? Um, yeah, the only problem is um, it's sort of up in Cape York is the sort of next place I want to go. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with green pythons, but there's... Uh, yeah. um, I've photographed green pythons up there before, but they only occur up in Cape York um, mm. where they've... They've radiated down from Papua New Guinea and then um, speciated into into what we call our green pythons um, or green tree pythons. Yep. Uh, they're common, commonly known in the in the reptile sort of keeping world. And uh, when they're younger, they're completely yellow. So um, I photographed the older uh, individuals, but I uh, haven't got on. I've only been up there once, so I'd really like to return and, and photograph um, some monitor species up there uh, along with those um you know, juvenile green pythons that are bright yellow. Yeah. Well, that's the thing with reptiles. A lot of them have, even though they're the same species, they have different morphs to them. So they all have a different look and appeal, especially the ones in captivity. Um, do you keep any reptiles as uh, pets? Not anymore because um, I, I used to keep them when I was younger, but I found that um, I'm, I'm such an, a, a traveler and an, an, ad, an adventurer that um I was always sort of palming them off on friends and family members and um, I, I don't think it was in the best interest of the animals sort of looking back on it. So uh, these days uh, what I do is I, I just focus on the wildlife and um, for me it's, it's much more enriching and, and, and um, I'd say rewarding to, to get out in the wild and, you know, put all your knowledge and everything to the test where you've got to uh, – because there's a lot of work that goes into – um, like a lot of study and um, a lot of research that goes into actually being able to find the species you're looking for. Like we've got over a thousand species of reptile in Australia and um, it's uh, they're not always the easiest to actually go out into the wild and, and track down. So, um, yeah, I've got, to, I've got to do all that before I go out. And, yeah. and then, um, you know, when I get out there, it actually just gives me a lot of satisfaction to... Um, you know, come across what I'm looking for and then sort of go back with that trophy, which is the photo. Mm, yeah, it's more of the challenge of going out into their environment and finding um, them in their natural habitat instead of having it in your house. There are a lot of, um, there's a lot of care that goes into having reptiles and it's probably, some people love it, but obviously with your lifestyle going away a lot, it's um, not the easiest thing to do, but um yeah, as you were talking about all the different types of reptiles, I know a lot of them are nocturnal or come out during that latter period of the day. Um, how do you go about taking photos of the reptiles at, at night or when it's in dusk or getting dark? Uh, well, as a photographer, lighting is probably the biggest challenge that you, you come across because um, I have species that I'm trying to photograph and, and represent in their natural habitat. Um, if you're sort of familiar with my work, I, I specialize in wide angle photography mm. and I really, I really try and sort of capture the animal plus uh, the habitat in the background. And um, to do that, you need to be um, quite capable at photographing at any time of day or night. So uh, whether it's, you know, in the morning when the sun's just coming up or in the, in the full sun during the day where you've got to, you know, try and photograph something either in full sun or in shade of a tree or 
Uh, there's just sort of, and then you've got obviously the the afternoon when the sun's setting, and then you know nocturnal through the night. So I've had to uh, grasp the concept of lighting in in all of those mm. areas, and then um, employ it in the field, which is not the easiest thing to do. But um, I just use flash fill to yep. uh, to light to light up my subject, and uh, if need be, if I'm trying to say I'm in a rainforest or something like that, and I I really want to incorporate some of that um you know background um you know whether it be um you know close or far away what i'll do is i'll, I'll use a, a second flash to sort of light up the background as well but it's a, it's uh constantly a, a tricky thing to get your head around mm. it's, it probably adds to the challenge as well when you're going out you've got to go out into their environment get the right equipment there get the right timing of the photo so it all comes together for that one picture which obviously you've been working very hard and getting some excellent photos in um, um, you can see on your instagram and facebook and your website you can see all of those beautiful uh, reptiles that you find and um, you've gone to a lot of different places to get photos um, of reptiles um, have you gone anywhere out of australia to get uh, pictures of these Yes, yeah, so um, I'm up to 35 countries uh, so far, yep. and um, those those I mean about 20 of those or 25 of those weren't weren't reptile related, but um, uh, that was just me having the tra travel bug when I was younger, and yeah. and um, that's sort of where my photography journey started, where I was traveling and I wanted to record my my travels, and I found that you know on the road I was getting. Um, you know, it was a great hobby to take on the road with you and you'd find that you'd go and explore places that you wouldn't usually go unless you were, you know, just wandering around trying to get a nice photo of something. So that's where it sort of kicked off. And, and um, then I started uh, doing reptile-based travel, I'd say mostly in the last five years. Yep. And uh, most, most recently, I just went to Arizona in August last year and photographed rattlesnakes and gila monsters and... Cool things like you know horn lizards that have this really cool um, defense mechanism where they squirt blood from their eyes if they if they're threatened or whatever and that you know America and Arizona have just got some really cool stuff that we don't have over here so it was uh, it was awesome to spend a week over there and and uh, in the Arizona deserts and chasing rattlesnakes. Yeah, that's the thing. Like Australia has such unique wildlife, but then everywhere does um, when you think about it. So going to those different places, you're going to get completely different animals. And um, yeah, there's some pretty interesting ones around the world. Um, what's probably the most interesting uh, reptile that you've been able to photograph? That's a good one. Um, I'd say my favorite are taipans. Uh, we've got three species of taipan and they only occur in Australia. And um, they're kind of in a league of their own when it comes to uh, snakes, just with their, I guess, the danger factor, but also their intelligence and their agility. They're, they're kind of like a super snake mm. and um, they're sort of up there with mambas and, and things like that. So you've uh, prob probably mambas and, and taipans are the, uh, um, you know, snakes that are, are the most formidable and probably present the most challenge to um, sometimes find, but also then photograph as well. Mm. Um, and I've I've been on some really cool trips uh, to photograph taipans, and and they're definitely the the most memorable experiences that I've that I've had. And um, we've got one species of taipan that was only described in two thousand and seven, called the Western Desert taipan, and um, they just thought it was a brown snake for for many many years, and then they, um, you know, some uh, after a um, survey to the region these uh you know scientists sort of brought back uh what they thought was uh, a specimen of a brown snake and um someone with a bit keener eye called brad marion you know went past it in the museum one day and had a look at it and thought that, that actually looks a bit like a taipan not a brown snake and from from there on it was discovered and um it's way out in the great victoria desert and and sort of in the middle of australia and and places like that so it, it takes a, a big mission to sort of get out and find it and and in 2017 i was able to do that and then um australian geographic actually picked up the, the story for that I, I pitched them the idea and 
they like anything that's rare and and mm. um, newly described or anything like that. So they they let me write an article and provide photos for them. And that's amazing. yeah, those um, yeah. I digress I digress a bit, but um, that was one of the most memorable you know uh, reptile odysseys I've ever been on. Yeah. Well, that actually leads into um, some of the questions I was going to ask you about. So, as you said, it's a recently discovered snake. Now, Australia is such a vast place. How many actual undiscovered reptiles do you think would be out there? Because obviously there's places here that you can't get to, um, and we've had a lot of reptiles throughout the generations that could have come and gone. Um, I know we've got a lot of endangered species here, but... Um, do you think there's any more out there that are just so elusive that we haven't found them yet? Well, I'd say it's more of a case of um, we, for, for most of it, we know that they're there. It's mm. just that we don't we don't know genetically if they're if they're different or not. And and the science, there's basically not enough scientists to to get all the work done. So you know, as as they get the scientists that we do have in in Australia, as they get through their workload, um, they they start to go. Okay, well, you know what we've we've we know that the the this sort of let's use death adders for an example. Um, you know they've they've in the last sort of I can't remember exactly how many years. Let's say five years ago or, or six years ago, they they just described the Kimberley death adder and mm-hmm. um, death adders occur in that region. Um, you know, for for didn't know that they were a different species. So that's usually what the case is, where they the science catches up, they do the genetic works, and they start to go, oh, this is a little bit different in this region. Maybe we'll we'll do the taxonomy and the genetics on that, and then they realise it's a new species. So usually that's how Australia comes across its new species um, in regards to something completely uh you know undiscovered that's that's a lot more of a rare occurrence and and mm-hmm. obviously for me you know that that would be a dream getting you know going somewhere that really really remote and getting a photo of something that you know science hasn't discovered yet but like the chances of that are, are just super rare and it's it's usually a case of um where they know the animals are there they just haven't figured out if they're a different species or not yeah so it's more of a variant of a species we know about but it's a different um, taxonomy or uh, yes. genus of the same uh, snake um, but yeah we've got lots of unique reptiles here but obviously around the world you've got lots of different places that have them um, South America is one of the hot spots for weird and wacky animals have you ever thought about going down to maybe like the Amazon regions trying to get some of those um, more unique and elusive reptiles onto your um, work, or is that something maybe in the future you'd look to do? Well, I've I've been trying to get to Central America and South America um, first and foremost just to see the place because mm. I'm I'm really into my travel. I've been trying to get there um, for the last five or six years, and and for some reason every every time I go to sort of look at planning that trip. Uh, something else comes up and I've got friends that are going here and they've invited me on this one or, or I've got something that sort of takes priority over it and um, it's actually sort of started to frustrate me uh, <laughs> a fair bit because I'm, I'm di- literally dying to get over there and, and, and A, see the place and, and B, see some of the reptiles there as well and photograph them. So uh, it's coming. Um, it, it'll just be a matter of, of when and um, I thought it was actually going to be this year but... Um, coronavirus happened <laughs> yeah. is there any um specific uh reptiles that you're more into so do you enjoy photographing snakes or lizards more than others without a doubt snakes are my favorite um you know family of reptiles they're they're without a doubt they're probably the most fascinating to me just because they're so different to us you know what i mean they, mm. they couldn't be further from from a mammal so um, they've got so many unique abilities and so many interesting things about them um, and so many cool ways of, of getting around their their day-to-day problems and you know the, the things they've evolved to be able to do are just um, purely fascinating so 
yeah, snakes are definitely number one for me. But, um, you know, I extend my, my love to sort of all reptiles, but snakes mm. are number one. Yeah, they're just, they're such a unique yeah. creature, the way they move, the way they can, there's constrictors, there's ones that strike, there's so many different variants of um, how they survive. And obviously South America's got a lot of these unique snakes, like, and some large ones as well. Um, catching snakes, have you ever been bitten? Uh, yes, definitely been bitten before, but um, usually it, uh, it's actually the, it's funny when people find out you're a, you're a snake handler or a snake enthusiast, the first thing they ask you, oh, have you ever been bitten? <laughs> um, and you're like, yeah, of course I have, you know, um, you know, it'd be like asking a rugby player if he's ever been tackled, yeah. like, <laughs> but you know, where, where it comes down to, um, trying to stay safe in, in everything you do is, is when you're handling venomous stuff or if, you know, if. God forbid you're over in another country and you, you found mm. something that you, you didn't know what it was. Um, you would just handle it as if it would be venomous and, and you take the, the precautions uh, that you would. And, and I even take more precautions when I'm sort of out in remote places of Australia by myself. Uh, you know, there's if, if I don't have to or if I have to minimise sort of hands-on things, I, I do that at all costs, you know, by... Um, I I can to to sort of ensure my own safety, but mm. yeah, obviously, um, definitely been bitten. Yeah, obviously, um, you're going to have these encounters with um a lot of different reptiles, and some of them are going to be venomous because it's one of the key traits that a lot of them use as a defense mechanism and as a hunting mechanism. Um, and you talked about having um contact with taipans. Now, some of them are some of the most venomous snakes you're going to come across. Uh, do you get a bit of a buzz by being so close to such a lethal animal or are you more scared about it? There's there's probably, there's a healthy amount of fear, um, mm. but, and there's also, it's a bit of both really. There's a healthy amount of fear and respect for the animal, but there's also, um also such a, a fond a fondness and and a um it's hard to describe but um you know because i'm so fascinated by them and, and i have such a fondness towards them um and you know each each individual has its own temperament its own personality so it's mm -hmm. really cool to to go out and you know find a taipan and you're, you're expecting this um you know super agile um super defensive individual and then you walk up and it's a puppy dog and you know it's it's you know that was that was the case of the the western desert taipan where you know they they just haven't developed the the highly strung um defensive nature that some of the snakes around the metropolitan regions um you know have because they're out there in the in the desert with uh hardly any natural predators like the only thing that's going to nail a, a western desert taipan out there is either a large monitor lizard or an eagle or something like that so mm. um when they see a human they don't see us as as um uh, a recognized predator or a threat so um i've been able to get quite close to to those and and you know even even sort of handle them out and out in the remote um parts where if, if i did get bitten it almost mean i wouldn't be making it back but you you know after a while, you sort of of doing this, you you get very good at judging snake behaviour and very good at, um, you know, learning what you can and can't get away with. Yeah. Um, when you when you're a kid, Ross, um, it's sort of the thing that springs to my mind. If you're out sort of playing around in your in your farm, like looking for reptiles, were your parents ever concerned about that or your fascination with? Uh, snakes and stuff or was that something that they sort of just accepted snakes sort of came at a um like i was fascinated with them but i you know as a young as a young teenager and a young boy and stuff i, I didn't really get hands-on with uh any you know things like brown snakes um you know I, I knew what the difference between a brown snake and a carpet snake was so if i if i found a carpet snake or a tree snake and i you know knew it was non-venomous um, or even black-headed pythons, you know, things like that, where where I could identify what was venomous and not. I, I'd get hands-on with 
the non-venomous stuff. But, you know, as a young fella, I, I didn't really mess with brown snakes until I, um, you know, got some, um, you know, later in life when I got a bit of formal training and then I started to become a snake catcher. Then I was, then I was very, very hands-on uh, with them. And, and um, I kind of then almost did my apprenticeship with, with brown snakes, which they're pretty much next next thing down to type ends when it comes to agility and, and temperament. And um, I, I would say that they're probably yeah, definitely even more defensive than than a type end. So in, in some cases, your brown snakes are even worse. But I waited till a bit later in life um, to, to start messing with the, with the super venomous stuff and super dangerous stuff. Uh, when I was younger, it was mostly just lizards and frogs and, and uh, you know, non-venomous snakes. So um, parents sort of fairly trusted me when it came to that. And the, the other thing is when we were on that farm, um, you know, I didn't, that was a relationship that my, my mum got into and, and that, that guy ended up becoming my stepdad and they were together for about seven years. But his, his ethos on it was, um, you know, a good snake's a dead snake. So when I did find something, uh, you know, when I did find something, I rarely um, brought any snakes back to the house. And um, when he found something, it was, you know, sending, you know, mum off to get the gun and he'd, he'd sort of dispatch of the snake with a gun or with a shovel. And this was really conflicting for me because I, you know, was very fond of these creatures. But at the same time, um, you know, as a young, as a young person, you, you kind of don't know what's accepted and what's not and you kind of start to trust um in in your elders and and it wasn't until later in life i realized how ignorant and how wrong that was to to sort of kill snakes on site because you know he'd kill non-venomous stuff if he found it thinking everything was a brown snake or everything was a typhan which is really sad mm. yeah. so i suppose he just didn't have the education in that area um, and the other question I was going to ask, with protective gear when you're handling snakes now, do you wear gaiters on your legs when you walk around and what sort of gloves and stuff do you wear or do you not use that? Uh, look, gaiters are, um, gaiters are kind of one of those things that are, that are great for bushwalkers, um, you know, if they're, if they're worried about snake bite and they're in remote areas and stuff. But I don't think you'll catch any snake enthusiasts out in out in gators because um, most most of our snakes have really small fangs, yep. um, especially brown snakes. You're only looking at two to three millimeters. Which, uh, if you accidentally step on one, then you know you're you're probably looking at the, they're going to be barely able to get through your jeans. Um, which you, which I'm not telling people to rely on. But the thing is, I'm I, when I'm out, I'm I'm looking for snakes and I have a very keen eye for it at this stage in my life and uh you there's there's only ever been one time where i was walking in in sort of fairly thick low vegetation where i've actually stepped on a snake and and lucky at that time i was wearing gum boots because it was um by a riverbank sort of thing so um that has been the only occasion where i've ever um stepped on a snake myself where um every other time you know i I either spot the snake or it spots me beforehand. And um, yeah, there's, there's very little chance that I'll ever need gaiters. So um, I don't really implement them. All I do is wear long pants if I, if I deem it fit. Yeah. So there's a lot of stigma around reptiles. I feel um, especially um, as you said about your dad saying a dead snake's a good snake. Um, I feel like a lot of people have this unnecessary um, fear of reptiles obviously you've worked with lots of different ones um are there any of the larger ones so your monitor lizards and crocodiles and things like that that do frighten you when you go into um, encounters with them um not, not really frighten me um because i know i know the animal i know its capabilities i know um what I need to do around the animal to stay safe. It'd be, you know, it'd be like, you know, people working with any dangerous animals, the, mm -hmm. the more they understand about them, the less you fear. And that is a kind of an ethos that I sort of try and um, spread to the, to the general public is just awareness and education, because um, honestly, the reptiles are the most 
feared and most misunderstood creatures on the planet, I, I think. Mm. And, um, and education is the key. So, you know, I, I've obviously educated myself to a certain level where there's, there's nothing that really um, scares me or anything. Obviously, if I was up in, you know, northern, northern territory and I, you know, fell out of a boat into a crocodile infested <laughs> murky river, um, you know, that would be a situation where I would, I would act like anyone else and, and try and get my ass out of the water as quick as possible. Uh-huh. But, um, you know, when it comes to photographing and getting close to animals, uh, there's, there's no real fear there. It's more of a, you know, I, I feel like I know what I'm doing. I know what the, how the animal's behaving and, and if it's getting quite defensive, then I just need to work at a, at a bigger distance. Yeah. Um, and I haven't actually been up close and personal with a, a big saltwater crocodile yet. So, um, we'll see how that goes. Um, I'll probably just have to use a long, a long lens for that mm. one, I think. Yeah, they're not the nicest animals to be up close and personal with if they're in a bad mood. <laughs> no, no. And I'll give you an example of, um, you know, me working with a large, I guess, dangerous creature is um, the the large parentes are the biggest mm. um, monitor lizard or goanna that um, we've got in Australia. And, and even those, you know, like as soon as I saw it, this thing's two metres long, it's... Um, They've got these huge claws. They've got large teeth. Um, you know, they're like, you know, potentially they're a, a big, dangerous, you know, pit bull of an animal sort of mm. thing. You know, as to what what physical harm they could do do you. But um, the I got really close to that animal, and and the worst I received was a tail whip. And they do this. Um, they use their tail like, you know, the worst hit that you've ever had from your dad with a with a leather belt. Mm. Um, and they just recoil it and they use it to, to basically whip anything. And they that's one of their first lines of defense. And I copped that across the legs because I was getting too close, just out of pure excitement of, of finding my first one. Mm. And, um, you know, that gave me like a big blood blister across the, the legs. Um, but then, you know, all I did is go, okay, well, I need to keep an extra foot away from you. But um, that's because I know that animal's not, going to attack me unless I grab it, you know what I mean? And I yeah. try and restrain it. And then it's going to think it's in a fight for its life. It's going to claw, it's going to bite, it's going to do anything it can. But if you're keeping, you know, a safe distance from any snake or any any reptile, they're a wild, wild animal. They see you as a potentially a large predator. They're either going to avoid you or if you get too close, sometimes they enter into defensive behavior. And because I'm well-versed at what they do, I sort of know how close I can get, but it's it's not the case with the general public, and they just, you know, a lot of people freak out needlessly when they're around snakes or or big monitor lizards or. Yeah, and um, obviously, as we expand um, as people and move into these areas, we're going to have more snakes in these even metropolitan areas. Um, what what's the best uh, cause of action if you come across a snake in your backyard or in your neighbourhood? Um, what what should you do? First and foremost, stay calm because when people go into panic mode, they start losing their rational thought and they start imagining situations that aren't real, and they they imagine that the danger is 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 so much more. Um, serious than it really is and um i i really want to encourage people like if they do have a fear of snakes or if they are of the mind that a that a good snake's a dead snake i really want to encourage those people to see them as native wildlife because first and foremost they're protected um you know scientists and the government yeah. have understood that we we need a, a balanced ecosystem and um we're actually you know humans are the worst uh, the worst um cause of, of our ecosystem falling apart and, and being damaged on it so I encourage people to to understand that and go you know maybe this new housing estate that I've just moved into used to be habitat for wildlife and now that they've leveled it and built houses for us the thing that we can do is at least understand that these animals still need food a home and and shelter so they're coming back into our homes because we provide great food, great shelter, and you know, great water sources for them to survive. Mm. So the least 
thing people can do is 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 sort of see them as an animal that's just trying to survive and then allow them that um ability to survive you know by not going and getting a shovel and not going and getting a gun or freaking out and and thinking that this thing is going to attack our children and 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 hunt us down and kill us because that's the irrational stuff that um is just is so far out there that you know people have just seen too many um hyped up documentaries and they they don't have a lot of real world knowledge about the animal so you see a snake when it comes to you know that's the mindset i want people to have now the actual thing that i would advise them to do is just keep a safe distance keep an eye on the animal and just watch it Mm -hmm. um see see what it does if it disappears out of your yard you have no cause for concern if it goes into your garden shed best thing you can do is try and keep eyes on it if it goes into an enclosed space and it's on your property and you already know that you want to get this animal removed then shut the door behind it you know put down a towel under the door and then call a snake catcher and they'll come and come and remove it from your property but um other than that if you're calm enough and you're comfortable enough around reptiles and you're just sort of uneasy about it just take a photo and send it or even if you're in you know you're curious just take a photo of it on your phone send it through to your your nearest snake catcher um don't post it on facebook and ask your facebook friends what is this snake because you're just going to get so much stupid information it's not funny um Mm -hmm. Just jump on Facebook and, and Google snake identification or um, snake catcher, you know, and where whatever your location is, and then contact them, send them a photo of it, and they might say, hey, it's a legless lizard. You have no cause for concern. Leave it alone. Or they'll identify and go, hey, it's a brown snake. It's up to you if you want to get it relocated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's just having that um, education, which I feel like um... – I had a bit of it during my younger years at school and stuff. We'd have reptile people come in and educate us about uh, reptiles, arachnids, whether to be afraid of them or not. But I feel a lot of Australians don't have that, even though we're surrounded by this wildlife. Um, And I think people just need to be more educated about the topic because, um, as you said, people see a snake and they panic straight away. Whereas if you understand the, um, like, nature of most snakes, like there's only they're not going to they're not out to get you they're just out to get themselves some food and we've got more food where we are there's mice there's other animals that come into these areas and then they've got to come in to eat them so i feel like as you said just educating people on um the types of nature of the animals that we deal with all the time will be a really great start and obviously there's surely some um of these campaigns out there but i know you make uh educational videos on your instagram and facebook and stuff about specific animals um and even i've looked into reptiles and stuff as a interest but i was learning quite a lot just from going and watching your videos so i think people just need to go to the proper information that's out there and not just panic and go on the bendigo have your say or whatever it is on Facebook, yeah. um, here's yeah. my snake. What is it? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and obviously that's that's just because people don't know any better, and a lot of people don't even realise that there are snake professionals out there, and and there are people that uh, there's you know there's whole Facebook pages and and forums and everything where you can jump on and and post a photo of a snake and say hey what's this and you'll get you know fairly accurate information because. Mm. You know, there, there is a whole heap of people out there that specialize in this just like any other uh, thing. But you, what you said was right. Um, education is the key. And I find that um, society, we're losing so much touch with our connection with the natural world. We, we're, we're becoming this super domesticated species where, you know, people are even, um, yeah, they can't handle flies or bugs in their house or, and they've got to kill everything with mortine because they've <laughs> been bombarded with mortine ads since they were a little kid. And uh, we've got this inbuilt doctrine, you know, inbuilt doctrinated sort of um, thing, uh, you know, partly because of marketing companies, partly because of, you know, old conventional wisdom where, you know, back in the day when we first settled Australia, 
snake bite was a real, you know, a real worry. Yeah. You know, the, these days we've just come so far with our science and our, um, you know, medical services. We have, you know, one of the best um, um, health services in the country. And, you know, we only have, most people might be surprised to hear this, but we only have two snake bite, on average, two snake bite deaths a year. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that is, that is absolutely nothing. And I, and I don't mean to take away from anyone that has lost a loved one um, due to snake bite. It's, it's certainly a tragedy, but it is an unfortunate accident. And, you know, most snake bites occur from people meddling with these animals that they don't need to. They're either trying to catch or kill it because they feel like they've got to protect their family when the best thing they can do is let a professional deal with it or learn more about the animal and learn that it's not actually, a, you know, as dangerous as you think it is. So, mm. so yeah, it's, as you said, education is key. Um, so you, you, as you mentioned earlier, you had a picture put in Australian Geographic as well with a story. Uh, what other works have you had put in these uh, sort of magazines and journals and sort of thing? Uh, most recently of... Um, wild planet photo magazine did a feature on me where they featured about six or seven of my images and and gave me like a 10 uh question interview where i sort of um elaborated on more of a you know photography style interview um because it was a wildlife magazine and you know they're they're start they're kind of an up-and-coming um you know wildlife magazine and they're starting to get some some good international coverage so that that was pretty cool to get featured on that Mm. um obviously we want probably the biggest thing for me was australian geographic um you know i've I've got something in the pipeline with an article in the pipeline with uh bbc wildlife magazine to, and and hopefully they might um pick that up later mm. in the year um and other than that just just books and publications so you know covers of reptile magazines and 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 features and articles in in sort of reptile publications Mm. Uh, believe it or not, believe it or not, there are, you know, magazines and stuff for everyone that's interested in reptiles and um, yeah, what else? Like uh, just getting my photos in, in books, um, you know, I've probably been in about five or six at, uh, at the moment and um, it's just good to be able to contribute to something that's going to go out there and, and if my photo sort of, captures someone's attention and then they learn something about that animal that they didn't know before then i consider it you know um pretty pretty well worth it yeah if it's in a textbook or something or a um, non-fiction book that a kid's seeing and he sees this beautiful creature and you've taken that photo engaged that uh person with this nature and they get involved in that from seeing these beautiful animals it's it's educating and it's getting more people into the field as well that are interested. Um, what would you, uh, what advice would you give for someone who's looking to get into uh, the domain of working with reptiles or taking photos with them? Uh, what steps could they take to um, get to the point where you are now going out and capturing the amazing wildlife we have here? Well, um, if they want to just get into, I'll, I'll touch on just getting into reptiles in general, and then and then you know I'll I'll go into the photography side of things. But if if people want to get learn more about reptiles, um, you know, if they just want to increase their general knowledge, start following their local snake catcher and start watching the videos that those guys post. Because a lot of people, you know, there are some that do it for their ego and and they're out. To, to show everyone how badass they are with mm. catching snakes. But if you find one that's putting out good educational content, uh, follow that. Um, you know, increase your knowledge about snakes. Uh, buy field guides, uh, buy books on reptiles, start learning. Uh, there's a great app called Snakes of Oz yep. uh, that Stuart, Stuart McDonald uh, from UG Media. I'll give him a bit of a shout out because... Um, He's made probably the most comprehensive and best uh, snake app in Australia, and it's called Snakes of Oz. Mm-hmm. Um, and people can just sort of jump on there. They can learn more about them. Um, you know, there's there's already like a, a, a ever since YouTube came about and Facebook, now everyone wants to be a snake catcher. So, um, yeah. you know, there's there's 
that market is sort of flooded. But you know, if you can, if if that's something you're really passionate about and you actually want to help people and help the animals, then get into snake catching. If if you just want to be a badass on the internet, then go and do something else because there's already enough idiots out there doing that. Mm. Um, and the other thing too is you could probably get into volunteering. Um, I would say what I did is once I did, you know, I, I did a venomous snake handling course. Um, look up who's a provider of, of, you know, your local venomous snake handling course and go and do one of them if you want to learn uh, a bit more hands-on. And mm. then I found, you know, I found um, a guy that had a fairly extensive collection of reptiles, which I, you know, just volunteered on a weekend. I would go and clean his cages and that removes that that uh, incorporates removing all the reptiles and handling them and yeah you know getting getting them in something temporary while you clean the cage out and then putting the reptile back in and it's that sort of stuff that's really going to increase your handling skills if you if you want to sort of go down that that path and that's what i did and then became a snake catcher and basically got my hands on as as much wild stuff as possible and and that sort of led me into to going out in the wild and the other thing is you can just, once you're confident enough, you can just go walk in the bush and, and see what you can find out in the wild. And, mm. and that's, called, that's called herping. Um, yeah. It's the, the activity of, of herpetology or, you know, reptiles are, are, are called herps, you know, which is, I know it's a funny word if yeah. you think, think about it in, in another context, but yeah. um, it comes from the word herpetology, which is the study of reptiles and amphibians and, and the activity of going out and finding reptiles in the wild is called herping. And, mm. you know, you can jump online and, and figure out herping tips. And um, if you're into photography, um, what you can do is just get, get um, you know, buy yourself something to start out with and, and start getting out there and taking photos of everything and anything um, just to learn your photography skills. And then, if you want to incorporate that into reptiles, um, you know, you might find someone with a, a pet one that you can sort of get out in the backyard and start taking photos of and, and then sort of slowly graduate to, to maybe getting out in the wild and, and doing that. Mm. Yeah, so it's building up to it. Um, I know I've, before all this COVID stuff, um, I went out with my partner, we went on bushwalks and if... I was on the lookout for wildlife, so um, we tracked down an echidna. We were out looking for stuff, but you've got to build it up. You can't just go out into the middle of the outback and go, yeah, I'm going to find a snake out here. Um, it's more that gradient, um, as you said, building up. Um, same with the catching. Um, there's no point going and do your snake catching straight away if you haven't looked into the animals and um, what you yeah. enjoy about them. Um, so yeah, it's about, as you said, that building up to everything, but yeah, there's lots you can go out and do, um, in the wild to just get involved with nature. You can just go on a walk and see it. Yeah. Well, you've kind of hit the nail on the head with, um, a getting out into the wild and, and seeing what's about, cause so many people are just confined to their homes and their, their cities and stuff like that. And they don't realize that, you know, there's national parks and bushland that's just full of uh, interesting animals and you know there's so much fear out there it keeps people inside and it, and I've got you know I get people on my page and they say oh, I'm so terrified I'll see a snake um I don't even go for a walk in the bush and I'm just like what a what a really unfortunate and sad way to live your life disconnected from nature and animals um, yeah. because you 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 unnecessarily fear something that's um, most likely never going to happen exactly um so a getting out there and B, taking it slow. A lot of you get a lot of young kids, and they they don't realise that I'm 35 and I've spent 10 years or more behind a camera and uh, countless hours on YouTube. And um, you know, I would take a, a rubber snake and go out and photograph it in different locations um, to try and hone my craft before I actually, um, you know, dealt with a real animal. Because yeah. A, I didn't want to. I didn't want to stress a real animal out for any longer than I needed to, to get a photo. And, and I wanted my photography skills to sort of be as, as good as they could um, while I was going through that journey. But, you know, you can, if you really want to get good at photography, it's a, it's a process and you can't just go buy a, a, the best camera out there on the market and then 
expect to to take photos that I take or something like that. You know, have patience, get into it, learn as much as you can, and put the work in, and and then you might sort of you know you you get out of it what you put in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had two questions for you, Ross. And with that, that's just a, sort of a reflection with how society is these days, especially children. Like I feel sorry for them. They're exposed to everything on the internet and they want a quick fix for everything. They think that they, they've forgotten that middle step of the journey. They see something, they like it, they want it straight away then and there. Um, and I feel like that's, yeah, that's sort of getting lost um, as we go on, but yeah, hopefully people can keep that going. Definitely. Um, I, I think just, I think just starting off with being interested in something and just being honest with yourself, like, am I doing this, um, because I, I want to go out there and take better photos than someone else or, or do I, am I really passionate about this? Like if, if there was no Facebook and no Instagram and, and no social media and no one was going to ever see my photos, I would still go out and do it and then just have a private collection of my own images that I would look back through and, and remember the moment and everything about finding that species and stuff. So I think people have got to be honest with themselves. Are they doing it for their ego um, and, and to try and get status or are they doing it for a genuine reason where they're genuinely passionate about it and genuinely want to help people or, you know, like a lot of the reason I, I go through all the um, countless hours of putting things, you know, making material for social media is to, to educate people about reptiles, um, build awareness in the public about it. And then also that helps other people. It helps me get my name out there and it's sort of a win-win situation. But if you don't create anything like that and you're just doing it to compete with someone or, you've just decided one day that you want to do that and it'll get you popular, then that's completely the wrong reason to do anything. Yeah. And I think with that, the audience can see through as well. They can sort of see whether you're doing it for genuine reasons or whether you've got your own uh, vested interest. Um, with, with the crocodile and alligator alligators, one of my mates is actually on mute at the minute. Spice. He's got a bit of a fear of crocs and alligators and, He's heard a lot of stories about um, the being in sewers. And I was wondering whether you had any stories or knew anything about possible crocs and alligators in sewers, whether that be in Australia or overseas in the US or... Is, is your friend, uh, you're saying he's got a bit of a fear about it. Is he Is he from the US, is he? or? Uh, well, he's from, he's from um, Chile. Chile, but yeah, he moved over when he was fairly young. But yeah, he's always been a bit petrified of them being in sewers like so i don't know what have you heard any stories about that look there's there's cases where in america where you know and i, I haven't grown up with alligators and stuff but yeah over there over there their laws are really relaxed around what you can keep as pets and stuff like that like they there's more tigers in america than there is in the wild it's 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 yeah there's crazy stuff like that so alligators are one of those things that people get a hold of um, they, they keep them legally or legally. And then when they get too big or they get an inconvenience, they, they go and ditch them, you know, anywhere, anywhere they can. It might just be, you know, down, down the back of their house in a swamp or something like this. So then what happens is those poor animals sort of turn up in some weird and wonderful places. And, um, it, it's not unfathomable for them to, to end up in a sewer or something like that. If, if they go down a drain, yeah. um, you know, I, and the other thing is animals like reptiles can survive so long without food because they just power down and, and go into, you know, like brumation or something like that, where they, where they go into an inactive period. So then, you know, they can, they can, you know, survive for so long without food, you know, up to a year or, or more um, wow. with some yeah. species. Mm. Yeah. That's all right. So, you know, yeah, it's 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 not unfathomable, but it's it's not like a realistic fear that he would need to have, and especially in Australia, like you yeah. don't you don't have that that same issue because our laws around keeping wildlife aren't as relaxed as America. Yeah, well, I'll try and I'll hope he's listening now because every time he walks past a drain, I reckon that would be. <laughs> head, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, tell him, tell him, don't worry about that. He's he's not in the right country for that sort of. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. And I have one other quick question, and then Connor's got one to finish up. Um, with the camera that you use, can you talk us through your setup? Because I think that would be fairly interesting for someone that's not a, into their photography. Yeah, yeah. Um, I use a Canon 5D Mark III, which is, um, you know, not the newest camera on the market or anything, but it's a, it's a full frame um, sensor, which is sort of getting up into your more professional sort of, uh, of cameras. It's maybe a mid-range professional sort of side of the camera. Um, and then most of the photography I do is on a, a wide angle lens. So I get really close and then, it, and then it gives me a wider perspective, which allows me to capture more of the animal in if I'm up close and also the habitat in the background. And uh, my go-to lens is a Tamron 30, uh, what is it, a 17 to 35 mil. Um, and that's sort of the focal length I mostly work with. Um, and then I use an external flash uh, with a diffuser. So I diffuse the light and make it a bit softer because you get a lot of light reflecting off scaly animals and it can, it can sort of take away from the, the overall photo. So I'll use an external flash. Um, and then I've just got a few other lenses that I use in different situations, like a macro lens, which is a, a Tamron 90 millimeter macro lens. And, and um, I use that to take close up headshots of animals where I really want to see a lot more detail. Um, or also really tiny reptiles as well. You know, anything sort of below the length of my finger I'll sort of bust out the, the macro lens for. And uh, Then I use a, the other lens I've got is a Canon 100 to 400 mil, and that's a, a good telephoto lens for taking pictures of animals that you just can't get close to. Um, for example, a, a big saltwater crocodile on the bank of a river or, um, you know, a, an animal up a tree something like that so uh, that's my basic sort of setup yeah cool yeah um just touching back on the <laughs> crocodiles in sewers um i know it's actually a big problem in florida especially in like the everglades area of people yep. releasing these snakes and alligators and stuff into uh the swamps they have a massive problem with the pythons there um that are just taking over um, there's no real um, predators for them in that area. And then the alligators ending up in people's swimming pools and everything over there. Florida's just a crazy place. Um, but I've, is, got, yeah. I've got one finishing question for you. Um, if you had unlimited budget, you could go anywhere and take a photo of any reptile, where would you go and what would it be? Uh, I would say the Amazon and I would be... Uh, hunting anacondas that would be that would be my uh probably number one dream dream trip um you know get under get underwater with them as well and um you know you're, you're starting to see footage now emerge of actual divers where they'll they'll go into these sort of um river systems and they they find a you know a massive anaconda because they such a heavy bodied snake you know these things can be 40 inches round they're the heaviest bodied snake in the world yeah. um you know some eight to ten meters long they're just they can be massive and um you see these uh camera guys getting in underwater with them and and, and filming them with an underwater rig and you just see this massive animal that's capable of killing them and, and consuming them um and it's just coming up to the lens and, and in being inquisitive. And, you know, not a lot like, you know, you see massive sharks in the ocean where everyone's terrified of them because they've seen too many hyped up um, wildlife documentaries. But um, the actual animal is, is far from just super misunderstood. So I'd mm -hmm. love to get in underwater with an anaconda. That would be my uh, number one yeah, dream. Amazing. Um... Thank you for your time. Uh, where can people find your work if they're looking for some reptile photos and educational videos and all of that sort of stuff? Yeah, so um, firstly, you know, if you're into Instagram, um, I'm just Ross McGibbon Photography on Instagram. Uh, if you jump on Facebook, I'm Ross McGibbon Reptile Photography. Um, if anyone is into, I'm just sort of kicking off my, my YouTube as well, where I'm uh, uploading a lot of my material to YouTube because I've, I've realized that um, 
I probably really need to do that because uh, some people are going away from Facebook now mm. and, um, you know, a lot of my stuff needs to be, you know, on, on uh, YouTube. So uh, you can just find me. I'm trying to remember my YouTube name. Um, I'm probably just Ross McGibbon Photography on YouTube as well. Yeah. Um, and then my, my website, if anyone is interested in looking at my prints for sale, um, my website is rmr photography.com.au no worries all right thank you very much for your time um obviously if you're interested in ross's work go check out all of those uh places but uh thank you very much for coming on ross um it was a great chat and hopefully you can go out and get some more beautiful photos for the people to see in the near future thanks connor i appreciate it fellas uh cheers for having me on and um take care no worries thanks mate appreciate your time Thank you for listening to another Blokes in Your Ear podcast. You can follow us over on Facebook at The Blokes in Your Ear or on Instagram at The Blokes in Your Ear podcast, all lowercase with no spaces. We're also streaming on Spotify, iTunes and other platforms. So if you can go over there, follow them, give us a five-star review, it all helps out. Thank you for listening.